0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. We've heard a few words about vocation today. And our vocation, as we've already been reminded in the front end of the service, in the collects we usually say, and especially in the collect, we say just this day, that our vocation is to love. Love the God who made all things, and love the God who is in the things he has made. We ask God to pour into our hearts in the collect the love that we need for him, because we acknowledge he is the source of that love, so that we can then love him in all things and above all things, both At the same time, and doing so may obtain his promises. We're given the very strong reminder that God's promises are more than we desire. Not only more, but sometimes typically different than we desire, but we'll get to that. We're asking for love. Vocation, however, as you know, does not literally mean love. It's the Latin word whose root means to call, vocare, and so the word means calling. It means calling out to someone in the hope that you will be heard, being heard because the someone is listening, and being heard being also understood. Take any of these links away, and it's not vocation, for vocation is from the listener's point of view. It means not a call given, but rather a call received. For us, vocation is taken to have a necessary divine dimension. It is God who is doing the calling, and we who are doing the listening. And not just listening, we are acting as well. For when God calls, what we call vocation, he is calling us into action. He is not just calling to check the communicative channels to say, Hello, although he surely is doing that all the time. No, vocation means being called up, being called into action, being given a task to do, maybe a series of tasks that will run through all of our lives. When Jacob responds to God's summons to action, what he hears is actually a reiteration of the call that God gave to Abraham, a promise of a vocation in another way, in other words, A promise of what we would understand as a career, a lifelong occupation, a task which will become indeed a preoccupation, implicating us personally, body and soul, into a life's work. Not a career, however, in the sense of a job and a sequel of opportunities for advancement of better pay, prestige, and position within the organization or within the world. Nothing quite like that. It's not yet at all, indeed, when you look at Scripture. Indeed, if we are always fussing about pay, prestige, and promotion, we have perhaps not found our vocation at all and need to start looking for it, or life may pass us by. A vocation comes from God, and to be given the chance to fulfill it is all we ask. And though the job security is excellent if it comes from God, The working conditions are usually less than optimal (laughs) from the world's perspective, but it doesn't matter, or so we are invited to say to ourselves. When God plants his desires into our hearts, as he does in today's parable, when he invades our life, unravels our set of well-made plans, and puts in their place Truly outlandish, impossible, sketchy aspirations with little chance of success without God, for the furtherance of which he requires further requires of us that we give up anything else we are doing and every hope of doing well at anything else, then we know it is indeed God speaking to us and that the calling is truly from him. If it has a biblical resonance and echo, I don't mean proof texting because you can use scripture to justify anything you want to if you do it verse by verse. No, but if it follows the pattern of biblical truth, of the narrative, of the way God consistently acts with his people, with those he has called through his grand overarching narrative... Thank you, N.T. Right from Abraham, from Adam, really, but from Abraham through Jacob and Isaac, right up to you and me, for we are his descendants. We are those whose progeny will outnumber the stars and the sky and the sand on the seashore if we see God in it. And just as importantly, if we belie- believe that same God speaks to his people now as he did then to you and me in real time, stopping us in our tracks and investing us in not some new scheme, but the age-old dream, the one plan to take this tired old creation and make it new, then we will hear from God. And if we act, and we will, we will hear again and again and again. We listen then, and we call this prayer. It's too bad that prayer is thought to be all about talking, The truth is, when we are listening in prayer, in our quiet contemplative time, we are easily distracted by a thousand other voices clamoring for our attention, a thousand other thoughts coming unbidden from some deep, dark place where all our thoughts and desires are gathered together, the good and the bad, the divine with the profane, just as the seeds are scattered into the good earth. Freud thought he had discovered this deep place, and he called it the unconscious, but it's been there all along, and it's the place where God does a lot of his business with us, and the transactions are tricky because we want to be sure the voice we hear is God's, and it's never quiet enough down there or in here to know. But God persists, and the point of today's parable is that he'll never turn the chatter, the static down to a whisper, and we have to tune our hearing to listen hard. In fact, if anything, I believe that the task ahead of all of us, day after day, is to learn how to speak softly and to listen hard to God and to one another. Regardless, it's hard to listen hard because it's hard to listen But listen, we must. Our lives depend on it. And scripture, as I said, gives us our patterns. And that helps. It helps a lot. One thing we must know is that God's promise to Abraham is still ongoing. It's not on hold. For I will not leave you, he says, until I have done what I have promised you. Jacob awoke from his sleep. This happens in the unconscious, in dreams. And we really have learned to learn to listen to our dreams and to our unconscious, to read scripture with an inner ear for the symbolic resonance informing and even overriding our dogged linear rational literalism. For this will help not hinder our capacity to discern God's voice in the midst of the chatter, the weeds, the cares of the world. I'm a borrow from another parable, which is not a good practice. These are parables, not allegory, but they're surely biblical warrant for the agricultural association. And if you lived as an agriculturalist, which all of us do to some extent, though not as a vocation, but as an avocation, you would understand this. We're talking about weeds and wheat. Now, the weeds have been differently named depending on our translation. Tares they used to be. Now we think we've identified this weed as darnell or darnel, darnell. What paleoethnobotanists believe is zizania, and that would make it the common name for lolium temulentum and that is a sort of rye grass, about a meter high and it looks just like wheat, or rather for what passed for wheat in the ancient Near East, which doesn't look very much like the wheat we have today. Thank you very much. But the problem we have is that the wheat then and the weed then looked so much the same. The two, in fact, look virtually identical until the actual corn or the ear is produced, which is at harvest time. The problem is not just that you have this worthless species competing for light and space and nutrients in the soil, sucking the life away and crowding out the species you are trying to grow, it is that you are growing this for food, not as some decorative ornamental. And worse, the Darnell, this is important, can be infected by a fungus, which, if ingested, is toxic and may be fatal. It induces a nausea which looks like inebriation; hence, uh, the temul- temulum- temulemptus. Sorry, I should say, temulemptus, household word, which means drunk, not a household word. I trust. Now you don't want this to be mixed up with your daily bread, so the task of discernment is essential to the task of vocation. Now, if Scripture helps us hear His voice and separate the wheat from the weeds, how do we know the weeds before it's too late? Well, if they're unconscious, they're unconscious and that's the problem. And we tend to like to leave our unconscious undisturbed when we are talking about all those things in ourselves that make us ourselves in ways that everyone else can see, everyone else but us, that is, But only our mothers and hopefully our spouses can love or at least like sometimes. Interestingly, the things that are least likable in ourselves are the things we are most likely to find unlikable in others. We call this projection. What others who know us can see in us, we can only see in others. Romans 7, again, and not in ourselves. And it takes some convincing and trials and tribulations and some very hard knocks to get us to own what is ours and to get to work on getting it out of our way. Not out of our life, but out of our way so we can tend to and attend to what God has planted within us, what God has planted within us, and not lavish our precious resources of time and treasure, nurturing what the adversary has planted instead. Often with our very active and very unconscious and very enthusiastic insistence, because the weeds in our soul are planted by us in times of fear. When we're trying to use the world's ways to adapt to the demands that the world is putting on us. And we got a lot of that planting done by the time we're two or three years old. We spend the rest of our lives trying to unpick it. Now, if we listen to this parable carefully, whether we're looking at the evil we can see very clearly on others or the evil we can't so clearly see in ourselves, we can infer a number of things, and then I'm done. One is that Jesus is very clearly drawing us away from putting our focus on the evil within us at all. He's not inviting us to get out a pesticide, a broadband, broad-spectrum pesticide, and just wipe out the whole field and start again, or some kind of claw and start to try pulling it up. He's saying, "Don't, don't do it. You don't know the difference between good and evil, when you're going out in the world and trying to sort people out, first of all, forget it. That's my God's job, not yours. You do very well not to waste your time, lest the speck in your eye become the huge plank you see in the eyes of others. What he's saying, however, is that we are called to pursue the good inside us actively rather than pursuing the evil inside us reactively. The great danger is that we spend too much time waiting for evil to bring some reaction. And a lot of that time is spent in the quiet hours we spend online or watching our network of choice waiting to hit the old fear button in our souls again and again, and we react again and again The fight-or-flight mechanism cuts in and all our focus is on the shadow that we've projected out there. It's so easy to get hooked and I do it all the time myself. And if God is also saying one thing, he's saying, sort out your own mess before you go sorting out anybody else's because you alone can work on your inner field of weeds and wheat. And though I may not do my separation of the world until the end of time, I'll help you work out your motives anytime you want. But you're going to need some patience. And the best way of doing it is to keep your focus on the task you've been given. And the task we have all been given is to love, pure and simple. It's to find a way to love to be proactive in living and loving, to learn to listen, and to understand that the call Abraham has given us is to be a blessing and not a curse. It means learning to ignore a great deal in order to achieve a little bit. Now, there are other texts which will tell us clearly how evil is to be dealt with, in the world. And we're not off the hook from that. But this text is telling us that our primary task is to be about nurturing the good, the good within us and the good without us. And may I say, God in this text, in his word, through his son, is saying to us, it's better to risk a little more evil in the world and let it grow then start pulling up the good that you mistake for evil. Now, that's a tough, tough message. But it does seem to be his message. So I take us back to that colic that we were given. And let's one last run over it again. Merciful God, it says, God of mercy. Not judge of all, God of mercy. You have prepared for those who love you. What gets us into his presence? Our love for him. Where does that love come from? From him. Such good things as pass our understanding. Highlight that, underline it in red, and circle it. It says what it means. We're going into mystery here, people. God gives us one step at a time when he leads us into our inner darkness or into the darkness around us. And he expects us to light a light and to create a blessing where we go. Pour into our hearts such love toward you that we, loving you in some things loving you wherever you might have hidden yourself away, loving you in all things and above all. We're not pantheists here, and above all things, but we're not going over all things to reach above. Our love is in this world and it's for this world. And that's how we obtain your promises Which exceed all that we can desire. So, whatever we've learned to make this world work for us on its own terms, God is gently inviting us to unlearn. That's all. And we'll learn a few tricks, a few techniques, a few spiritual hints on how to pick that apart in the whole process of repentance. And love will help us do that. And Knowing where we haven't loved, where we haven't given or received love, will help us do that almost preeminently. We're called to relationship to work this out. But the place we're being taken in this love is better, but it's also different than any paradise we dreamed up even in our souls when we suffered through something in our childhood or continue fighting the problems, the hooks, the triggers that drag us in again and again and get us firing off some blasted thing on Facebook which we hadn't said, wish we hadn't said, when we should have just asked for the grace and mercy of God to help us see whatever we're fighting against out there right in here and then to take our focus off that and to help us see all the blessings he wants to pour on this world. So may he bless all of us with the strength of his promise, and his promise is love and more love. His love for us, whether we're worthy of it or not, his love for this world, and us, as his agents of that love. Amen.